0: Well, I've enjoyed hearing those of you that shared this morning what God is doing as your pastor. It, uh, it's so encouraging to me. I feel responsibility for, for your growth and development and to see what, how God is meeting your needs and how you're finding your, your strength and encouragement and blessing in Him just warms my heart. Um, this morning I am concluding a series of messages that I've been giving on marriage. Um, I don't know if you have been here for all of them. They're on the podcast, I think, or will be, right, Kenton? Um, some time ago, I spoke on the spiritual blessings of singleness. That's something we don't often talk about in regard to marriage, and it's important. Uh, you know, our world has is giving so many messages about Singleness and marriage and um, the message that's coming is, is not according to Scripture. And I'm so concerned that the body of Christ speak clearly so that marriages are strengthened and people are encouraged and so that those who are single who may one day feel called to seek a marriage relationship Understand what marriage is about and how important it is um, to have a godly dating relationship that is focused as it should be um, so that you can have a successful marriage. I spoke also about the permanence of marriage until death do us part a couple weeks ago. That is not a message that's popular today, less popular today than it was 50 years ago. And society and the church is suffering because of a lack of that message. I spoke about building gospel-centered relationships a couple weeks ago. You might remember that. And then last Sunday, resolving conflict. All of these messages have principles that cover any relationship. But there is no place where it is more important than in the marriage relationship. You bring two sinners together in the closest of relationships, and they are called together in marriage to portray the relationship of Christ in His church, to point to a permanent relationship. Marriage is earthly Family relationships are earthly. And while they're important, they pale in comparison to the importance of eternal relationships. You're in my relationship with Christ and with our brothers and sisters in Christ. That is more important than even family relationships. We, We tend to lose sight of that and we suffer in our spiritual walk because of that. When we make those other relationships superior, to our relationships to Christ and to his church, we fail and we suffer accordingly. Well, this morning, again, as last Sunday, uh, it's not going to be an expositional message. I'm so looking forward. Next Sunday, Tim is going to be preaching, uh, bringing the message. But when I return on the 10th, I want to get back into expository preaching. That's really where my heart is. But this morning again, I think so many times we as ministers lay out maybe a good picture of what the ideal is. And in the pew, and I have been there, where you are, and listen to message. like, and say, wow, that is wonderful, that is great. But I leave the service saying, but how do I do that? I, 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 you know, I've kind of made a mess. I haven't really, that hasn't worked out for me. What do I do now? And you know, we can't go back, can we? But our God is a redeeming God. He calls us to move forward with Him. And so that's the encouraging. So I hope this morning, again, this message will be an encouraging time for us. For those of you who are single, you see marriages about you. You see your parents' marriage. You see other marriages. You see some that are done well. You've seen some that have failed. I hope this will be encouraging to you. If you feel called to marriage to to do it the right way. And I've got some instruction for that. For those, Some of us have been married just a short time. Matthew and Hannah back here, just getting started. Wow, I remember those blissful days. And then we have people here like Carl and Elma who are well over 50 years. Uh, you know, and perhaps others. I'm not going to try to spell out the dates of people, but Stephen, and Diane are just celebrating an anniversary. Uh, I just realized this week as I was talking with Gert, I've been married almost 38 years That's 10 years longer than I was single. Wow, the difference that that has made in my life. Well, this morning, open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read those same familiar verses because it's going to give some foundation for what we're going to be talking about this morning. This morning, the title of the message is Friendship, the Core of the Marriage Relationship. And what I want to do in the next 30 minutes or so is to convince you that the scriptural basis for marriage is friendship. True friendship is the core. And if that is not experienced between spouses, that marriage relationship will be defective to the core. And so I want to encourage us this morning to look at what that friendship looks like, what it requires of us, and how we can grow in that and have stronger marriages. Do you realize the strength of the marriages in this congregation have the greatest effect on the strength of this congregation? If our marriages are not strong, we will suffer as a church. And so I do not apologize for this series. Um, and and submission and and serving and what those are like and I won't go back over that again but so often that is misunderstood and I hope we have been able I've been able to clarify what I think the Bible clearly speaks of that I'm going to again very briefly this morning to tell you about a marriage that you may not know anything about um, the marriage of Martin Luther and Catherine von Bora Martin Luther as you recall was was a monk who was one of the early leaders of the Reformation. He was the firebrand that really started that. You remember the 95 Thesis nailed to the church door? And the core of the Reformation was the declaration that the Bible, not the teachings of the church, is the believer's authority for life. That was the, the basic tenet that started the Reformation. And you know... Churches still wrestle with that issue today. We have not, despite the martyrdom of scores of believers, hundreds of believers, we still wrestle with that. Especially in conservative circles, we wrestle with that. I think to our shame. The Bible, not the teachings of the church, are the believer's authority for life. Well, one of the areas that Luther took objection to, the church had decreed that monks and nuns and priests had to take a vow of celibacy for life. And Luther declared that there was no scriptural support for that position. Luther said when he was put on trial, show me from the Scriptures, and I will change my position. And he could not be shown from the Scriptures, and of course he was correct. He wrote a book called On Monastic Vows, in which he proved that forced celibacy was an invention of man. And he ended that book by encouraging priests and nuns and monks who felt called to marriage To marry for the glory of God. Well, there were a group of nuns that read his book, found his reasoning compelling, discarded their commitment to celibacy, sought to leave the Roman Catholic Church. The church refused to release them. So Luther arranged a heist. Twelve women were smuggled out of a convent in twelve empty fish barrels. Well, husbands were found for eleven of them. But Catherine von Bora proved to be pretty challenging to match with a husband. She was rather, as I understand, brash and proud and fairly unattractive. Now Luther was comfortable with his singleness. He felt no call to marriage, wasn't interested in being married. But he had interaction with this Catherine who he later called Kate. And eventually they got married. When asked why he married Catherine, Luther responded to spite the devil, which had to be one of the least romantic reasons uh, for a wedding in the history of mankind. But we know about their marriage primarily through letters that they wrote. They were passionately in love. Luther was 41 years old when he married Catherine. They had six children. He lived until he was 62 But toward the end of his life, he called Katie Von Bora the greatest earthly gift of grace a man could have. Quote, she was more than his lover. She was his confidant, his companion, his best friend. Friendship is one of the most forgotten elements of marriage. And if you notice the passage we read, nowhere was the word friendship mentioned. But all the characteristics of friendship were there. And I want to highlight some of those this morning. You know, perhaps those of us who are married this morning, we probably would recognize, well, yeah, I want to be a friend of my spouse. But we tend to see physical attraction and and passion and romance as being the core of marriage. If anything, maybe we see romance spiced with some friendship. But this morning, I want to declare that if you and I want to have an endearing and enduring marriage, friendship has to be the core of it. Now, one sociologist found that in general, wives and husbands agree that their friendship with their spouse represent at least 75% of their satisfaction with their marriage. So... Maybe men and women are from the same planet. Notice Paul uses the analogy of the body when instructing us about marriage. Verse 28 and 29. So men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. No man ever yet hateth his own flesh or his own body. You see, in, in one sense, we tend to think of ourselves separate from our body, our body separate from us, and in another sense, we can't do that. Not I'm certainly and arguably one with my body. I'm one. Dave is one with this body. And my wife, in one sense, is very separate from me. But after 38 years of marriage, Gert is very much one body with me. We fused our entire lives together. Our home, our family, and our future. Most of our lives now we have spent together we're two separate beings united into one only by the grace of God and throughout this Ephesian passage Paul repeatedly refers to the Genesis account of man and woman and their union as husband and life notice verse 31 Paul says in marriage a man and may I suggest a woman leaves father and mother and is joined together with their spouse, and they too become one flesh or one body. This, my brothers and sisters, this is the essence of marriage, becoming one. Never forget that. In fact, when Adam first saw Eve in the Garden of Eden, he said, this woman is what? Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. In other words, when I look at Eve, I see a part of me. He said, I see my own, a part of my own body. And that is what a genuine friend represents, a part of you. Someone who feels and understands your deepest interests, your passions, your fears, as well as your joys. And if you're married this morning, some of you are, do you realize you have been assigned by God to help your spouse in the greatest of all pursuits, Christ likeness. That's your assignment. And this fellow marriage saints must be must be our greatest passion. Not having a happy marriage Not the passion of having our needs and expectations met in marriage. Not in having a beautiful family. Not in having successful children. Not in having wonderful grandchildren. Those are not, must not be, our greatest passion. Our greatest passion must be to grow in the likeness of Christ. But pursuing Christ-likeness, of course, is not a pursuit just for married people. It's for every disciple of Christ. So those of you this morning who are single, that must be your greatest passion as well. Not to be successful in business, not even to be married. Your greatest passion must be pursuing likeness with Christ. Growing in our love for Jesus. Growing in our knowledge of him and what it means to follow him daily. I love what Tim Keller, who recently died. Some of you may be familiar with some of his writings. Tim Keller said this. He said, in Christian marriage, we have the awesome privilege to look at another sinner and get glimpses of the person God is creating them to be for all eternity. We can say to our spouse, I can see who God is making you to be. And that excites me. And I want to be a part of that. I want to partner with you and God in the journey you are taking to his throne. And when you and I get there, I will look at your magnificence and I will say, I always knew you could be like this. I got glimpses of it on earth, but now look at you. You see, we long for the day when we and our spouses will stand before God and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servants. Because you see, over the years, we've lifted each other up. We've sacrificed for each other. We've confronted each other. We have forgiven each other. We have prayed for each other. We have loved each other. We have pushed each other toward Christ. You see, it's your commitment to encourage your spouse's holiness that will keep your marriage properly focused because that focus is what defines friendship at the deepest level. Even when you're irritated at your spouse's imperfections, even when you're tempted to want a new spouse, you realize the new spouse that I really want is the one I have in his or her glorified state. And it's our honor to help move our husband or our wife toward that destination. Did you ever hear the proverbial story about Michelangelo, the sculptor, who was asked, looking at a block of wood or or marble, how he could sculpt a horse out of that? And he reportedly said, well, when I look at that block of marble, I see a horse. And I just chip away everything that's not horse. <laughs> well, we see the radiant beauty of Christ's likeness in our spouse, and we encourage and cheer them on as they chip away everything that is not Christ-like. And likewise, we boldly lead the way in chipping away in our own lives those things that are not Christ-like, realizing that that the greatest influence we can have on our spouse is to love him or her and serve him or her just as Christ loved the church. Not because he or she deserves it, but because Christ deserves it. We do it out of reverence to Christ, even when we may not feel that way toward our spouse. Now, when a sculpture's working, sometimes sparks fly, Right? And sometimes there are sparks fly in a marriage as well. Sanctification, becoming holy, is not soothing and comforting process. Well, what makes for friendship in marriage? I want to suggest three things. And just think about your marriage relationship. These are the key things we need to focus on. The first of those is a common cause. If two people are deeply friendly, you've got to have a common cause. And that common cause has to be becoming Christ-like. Not being successful in business, not having the largest house, not having the grandest kids, not having the largest number of descendants, becoming Christ-like. That has to be the common cause in our marriage. A second is constancy. You see, a friend is someone you know will never leave because they are as committed to you and your marriage as they are to themselves. Their commitment to you and your marriage is as high as it is to themselves. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is made for adversity. Listen, a friend is someone who who walks in when everyone else walks out. A person you should most be able to trust, your constancy is your spouse. Your spouse should be fully persuaded that while you may get upset with them, you're not going anywhere. Your spouse should be fully persuaded that while you may know their faults, probably better than anyone else, you still are the one who believes the best of them. You're the one who sees most clearly the potential that they have. You're the one who always gives them the benefit of the doubt in every situation. Not who excuses them, not who covers for them, not who ignores their faults, but who encourages and calls them to be all that they can be in their pursuit of being Christ-like. But here's the thing. Your spouse is not going to let you into their innermost world until they know that you are not going to reject them. You're not going to humiliate them. You're not going to walk away from them. I, I, I hate to hear a spouse tear down their spouse in front of other people. Because when I see that, what I know is their spouse is never going to open up to them. How could they? They don't feel safe. My body, generally speaking, knows that it's safe with me. I may be unhappy with certain parts of it, but my body knows it can trust Dave. Uh, Thinking about trimming my fingernails or digging out a splinter, uh, have you ever had someone else do that to you? It's kind of scary. But, but my body, my body's not afraid to let me do those things because my body knows if it feels pain, Dave's going to feel pain. And, and Dave is, is going to only cause pain for the body's good. You see, my friendship with my body is constant. Verse 29 says, no man hates his own body, but he nourishes and cherishes it. Constancy. Well, a third thing that must characterize friendship is transparency. In order to have friendship with our spouse, we have to open ourselves up to our spouse. And that requires humility. That requires vulnerability. That requires accountability. That requires honest sharing. You see, and we men probably struggle, husbands struggle the most with this, it's not being open with our spouse. is not just being willing to tell them what's happening, but be able to tell them how do we feel about what's happening, what's going on with us emotionally as well as what's going on in our schedule. In marriage, your spouse with whom you're pursuing oneness has to understand what really is going on in your heart. And some husbands are like a closed book to their wife. And frankly, that's why she's not his friend. She can't be. Some husbands refuse to share emotional feelings. Rather than do that, they isolate. They nurture that alone. And then there are likewise, there are some wives who have that standard quest- answer to the question, what's wrong, dear? Nothing. That answer of nothing is equally isolating and a barrier to building friendship. So the question this morning is, for all of us, how can we cultivate friendship in marriage? Well, there are at least two things that that I know I've had to really work on. One of those is you have to allow your spouse to call out your sin. I mean, believe me, they already see it, okay? The second is you have to be humble. You have to acknowledge your natural tendency to reject their counsel. Proverbs 9, 8 says, if you reprove a wise man, he will love you for it. But fools despise wisdom and correction. So the question for those who are married saints are, are we a wise husband or wife? Or are we a foolish husband or wife? Reflect on how you respond to your spouse's reproof or correction. You see, to be a wise spouse, we have to make an intentional decision to accept correction. And our natural or default response is to despise our spouse's correction. And Proverbs says that qualifies us as a fool. So what makes for friendship in a marriage relationship a common cause, pursuing Christ-likeness, constancy, transparency, and the last I would say is trust of good intention. Uh, consider again the analogy of your relationship with your body. You know, cleaning your body is, a, is an intimate activity and you don't necessarily feel comfortable with someone else doing it. It's kind of scary to have someone else brush your teeth or, or give you a shave or remove a splinter. You you have to be assured that they're going to be careful and that they're going to be gentle. Likewise, in order to allow your spouse to clean your spiritual body, you have to know, not merely hope, that they have good intentions, that they are free from any desire to belittle you, to tear you down, to condemn you. You know, it's so easy in the heat of emotion to be harsh and cruel to our spouse. And that's why, like we talked about last week, confrontation requires preparation. You wouldn't use a wire brush to clean, brush someone's teeth. You wouldn't use a butcher knife to take out a splinter. Listen, you married a sinner, Look at him, look at her. You married a sinner. So their failures should not come as a surprise. Instead of berating them over their sinfulness, lovingly call their attention to their failures and speak blessing and empowerment in their life. Look for the beautiful creation God is making out of them through his sanctifying plan for your marriage. And call that plan out in your spouse. Hold the crown of Jesus over their head and help them grow into it. You see, your spouse can be your closest friend if and only if you allow him or her to watch out for your soul and speak wisdom into your life. You can dare to allow your spouse to do that when you know that he or she is your biggest friend, your biggest fan, and therefore they have pure intentions. So I'm suggesting this morning that the core of marriage is friendship. And unfortunately, it is possible for marriages to become rotten to the core. Oneness in marriage is the very essence of marriage, and that requires true friendship. It's based on a common cause on constancy, on transparency, and on trusting them for good intentions. And without such friendship, a marriage is defective to the core, and it will slowly atrophy into a surface relationship void of fulfilling God's plan and purpose to produce holiness in both spouses. Let me offer four practical points, and you singles listen up because some of this you can grab into this morning as well. If I'm correct that friendship is the very core of the marriage relationship, then you need to prioritize friendship in a dating relationship. If you're single and desiring to marry, you need to give serious consideration to what is it that you're, most looking for in a prospective spouse. Now, the stereotype is, you know, we men tend to overvalue looks, physical attraction. We want a a trophy. We want an adornment, a decoration for our life. And women tend to overvalue earning potential. You know, we want to marry someone who's going to provide for us, all that we need and all that we want. And neither of these, and there are a host of other surface attractions, surface traits, neither of those, none of those ensure an endearing and an enduring marriage. Physical beauty fades, but it can be far outshone by the development of an inner beauty of heart and character. Earning potential may or may not Last, And we all know some of the most miserable people have more things, right, than they can even keep up with. But in the end, in our elderly years, we tend to all start looking kind of alike. And we're really much the same in that we're struggling to keep up with the challenges of aging. You see, what Adam needed in the garden was not primarily... Listen, guys, what Adam needed in the garden was not primarily a sexual partner. He needed a companion for the journey of life. Bone of his bones, flesh of his flesh. Remember singles, marriage is not romance spiced with friendship. Marriage is friendship spiced with romance. Allow me to stick my nose into your business for a minute. Now, I know this is risky. Many single saints will walk into a room of other single saints. I say that. I'm talking about believers with believers. So take that off the table. People they don't even know and very quickly can write off 80% of the group as not worthy of consideration for dating. It's the shape of his nose. It's the shape of her jaw. It's that accent. It's the color of their skin tone. It's it's their height. It's that weird part in their hair. It's their wardrobe. None of that stuff, listen, none of that stuff is really a factor for a happy, enduring marriage. Last Sunday, I shared that psychologists find that Infatuation, falling in love, being obsessed with traits like that, lasts at most 18 months. Now people have been pursuing relationships based on infatuation for several generations now. And far too often, married friends and parents have not helped singles develop and maintain a biblical vision of priorities in choosing a spouse. Single-star dating, and they're bombarded with comments such as, don't they make such a cute couple? If only he was not shorter than her. They will surely have beautiful children. You know, I'm just glad they share the same church background. Oh, you're dating? Congratulations, you finally found the right one. When's the wedding? You see, too often, single saints have been pursuing such relationships with the encouragement of married friends and parents who could offer so much more godly counsel. And I'm going to ask you this morning to be astute and be honest observer this morning. How has that worked out for the church. Rarely in counseling sessions that I have had with spouses in a troubled marriage, does a wife complain about how her husband looks. Wives are much more distraught by their husband's character flaws. He should be more responsible. He should show me that I have value How can I encourage him to be a leader in our home? Yet many single women are not seeking a husband with those character traits. They're seeking a man with whom they feel in love, who are they're convinced can physically provide everything they need and want to be happy. Single men too often today are seeking a trophy. We want a decoration for our selfish ambitions. We want a sexual partner to meet our needs rather than a soulmate A companion, a confidant, a comrade for the journey of life, a genuine friend. Well, two other side notes I'm going to say directly to singles. One is don't even consider dating a non Christian. You'll never be able to experience the deepest oneness and unity if your spouse is not walking with God. It's impossible. And if you're already married to an unbeliever, that reality doesn't permit you to leave them. 1 Corinthians is clear. You should not leave them. And God has a different purpose for your marriage. You're commanded to pray for them. Remember, they are God's project, not your project. And the last thing I want to say to singles this morning, beware of the intoxication and addiction of physical contact. While there are many reasons to keep physical contact to a minimum before marriage, I think the one that is most easily overlooked is that physical erotic contact is addictive and has the power to cloud your judgment. It's like driving under the influence. Rather, your focus needs to be answering this question. How much of a lifelong friend and companion can this person be for me? It's very difficult, if not impossible, to make that determination when we're strung out on infatuation with certain traits and we're absorbed with the buzz of physical contact. You see, you should be seeking to marry someone with whom Sex is anticipated to be the crowning jewel of your marriage, not the center of it. Your, your sexual relationship with your spouse should be anticipated like frosting on the cake. And the only way you can do that is to keep that expression of intimacy out of your dating relationship. Well, not only do you need to prioritize date, friendship in dating, but also in Marriage. Nothing can replace the centrality of friendship in your marriage. If you don't prioritize friendship in your marriage, your relationship will slowly die. Your career cannot replace the priority of friendship with your spouse. Your commitment to serving the church cannot replace your priority of friendship with your spouse. Your love and commitment to your children and grandchildren cannot replace friendship the priority of friendship with your spouse. The center of the godly home is not parent and child. The center of a godly home is husband and wife. I like Ephesians 6, 4 says, raise up or raise or bring up your children. What does that mean? Well, technically, we use the term today sometimes, Rear up your children. I like the visual image of that. Get behind them and push them so that they can eventually not be dependent on you. God did not place a parent and a child in the garden. He placed a husband and a wife there. And in order for his home to be solid, a husband's relationship with his wife has to be the strongest relationship in that home. The greatest gift, listen fathers, the greatest gift you can give to your children is to prioritize your relationship with their mother, even over them. Married people, you have to prioritize friendship in marriage over, above all things. You see, marriage has the unparalleled power in your life You have united your life to another person, literally. Paul says you become one body with him or her. And because marriage has that unparalleled power in your life, it must have that unparalleled priority. When your marriage is strong, even if the rest of your life falls apart, you'll make it. You'll make it. Our recent encounter with cancer... It's drawn us even closer together than we were. Dan and Nan, I'm sure, can testify to the same. But you see, if your marriage is is depicted by two people standing back to back to each other, you're just like roommates. Or it's just side by side. You're, You're doing life together and taking care of the kids together and building a business together. If it's not face to face... When life throws something hard at you, you've got nothing to give. It will divide you. It will conquer you. How many couples have divorced following the death of a child, for instance? Or some other tragedy? Now... Some of us, especially husbands, we've got to continue to work on that deep meaning of face-to-face. We all know what FaceTime is, right? <laughs> you got to have real FaceTime with your spouse. And you women, y'all can sit over a cup of coffee and for hours look at one another's faces, eyes, and talk about your, what's going on and how you feel. We men, that just doesn't come naturally. Mine's with the guy that, that is talking to his wife, and they recently had a friend who, who had broken up a dating relationship. And and he was going to play golf with that friend that that couple hours that Saturday. He got back and wife said, how's Sam doing? Is he dating anyone? He said, I don't know. That never came up. What do you mean it never came up? You spent three hours together and that never came up? He said, well, how is it to come up? What I was supposed to do is say, hey, nice putt. Are you dating someone? (laughs) We talked Wednesday night, fellas about your friend face? Probably all of us can work on that. Well, I need to bring this to a close. Remember, singles, the spiritual blessing of singleness. Marriage is earthly. It's for this earthly experience. It's not permanent. It's to be a foreshadow Of the eternal reality. The church is eternal. The reality of marriage points to. In marriage, Paul says two people become one body. What other institution in the Bible talks about body? The church. All of us are incomplete without a relationship with the other gender. Some of us are called to marriage. A special union with the other gender. But even those of us who are not called to marriage can find fulfillment in relating to our brothers and sisters within the church. There are limits, of course. But we still can experience a measure of completeness that is what it's going to be like in glory. For in heaven, Jesus says, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. So it's not that that's secondary or sub- par, that's what's going to be for eternity. Not marriage, as wonderful as marriage is. Marriage is going to give way to the perfect relationship. And that's in glory. I hope that we as believers can keep the biblical view of marriage ahead of us, in front of us, that we can call and encourage one another to pursue Christ's likeness in our marriage relationships, and that we can encourage singles that are in our sphere of influence to have biblical qualifications, aspirations, guidelines for seeking someone to marry. Because that decision brings consequences for a lifetime. May God help us to that end.